ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast here in New York City. Paul and Steve in the studio, along with Dave Benoit and Sarah Krause. And, and welcome to you both. How are you guys doing? Good, thanks. Doing great. I love that intro music. Dave was bobbing his head. I don't know yeah. if you missed that. I, I, you know, I, I did miss it, but I've done it often. It's good music, yeah. right? Yeah. Paul usually gets down every single time. Yeah, I, I composed that. Man of many <laughs> talents. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't compose that. Um, let's talk about it. the reason why we wanted to have you two in is because you have written a piece in our series, our ongoing series, The Passivists, about the shift from active managers to passive managers, fund managers on Wall Street. And the two of you wrote a story, kind of interesting, something that you wouldn't think off the top of your head uh, about the ramifications of this it, shift. It always struck me as this is sort of like the line from, you know, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And there's a certain... Like, nice, gross, appealing uh, to the kids. I, Good, um, there you go. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm a, I like to appeal to the millennials. Yeah. Especially when we have two on. Meanwhile, millennials are like, Spider-Man, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> but they are like, we're putting all our money in index funds. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it right back, Dave. Bring it. Right back. Uh, but, but talk to us about... What you guys wrote about, which is the fact that these passive fund managers have become major players in corporate governance. Yeah, I mean, as we set out to do this, we looked at the money flowing into index funds and we said, okay, as that sort of asset sum rises, what does that mean for how they're voting their shares and engaging with some of the biggest companies in America and globally for that matter? And so what we tried to do in this was, you know, go inside the boardroom a little bit, talk to the teams that are charged with voting shares and engaging on these issues. Um, and one of the things that, that was part of this look as well was some of the criticisms that they fielded um, in part from activist investors who said that they don't have enough staff addressing these issues, that they're not being active enough, that they are, quote unquote, passive in the boardroom. And so we were trying to sort out you know what what does their work on this actually look like and historically like what was their role too I mean, historically, they didn't spend a lot of time or put a lot of resources into this type of work. I think that it's something really in the last three to five years that the large managers of index funds have really said, OK, we need to bulk up and devote more time and resources to this. But interestingly, one of the things we found is they're saying, you know, we don't need to talk to a company on every single issue every single year. We're going to be owners no matter what. If the stock is in the index, we have to own it. We're going to be here for a long period of time. So let's get on a schedule of every sort of three to five years. We check in. We see how things are going. If there's an issue in the meantime. Time, then we'll address that. But we can't spend our time every single year with every single company. And, and that's what that's what, what's really different here, right? Sarah brought up activist investors in, in, in the world of kind of active management even. You, you typically have a portfolio manager who has an idea about the stock and who follows it and maybe follows a basket of 10 or 20 companies. These guys, these index funds have teams of uh, like 14 and 20 for for thousands of stocks. Right. We're talking Vanguard, 15 people, 13,000 companies globally. Right. right. That they're following. That, they're, that, that, that they hold. That they, right. that they have to right. vote the shares. So when something yes, comes right, up, right. When, when they're electing a director or when right. executive compensation is up for an election, their vote matters incredibly. And I actually think one of the most interesting stats in this entire series is that Vanguard in 2005 had 
uh, a five percent stake in three companies mm-hmm. in the S and P five hundred, and now it has a five percent stake in ninety four percent of them. Right. That is like an unbelievable. In a five percent, yep. Yeah. In a five percent stake is incredibly important to these votes. Right. It, it, well, I mean, nine, and those are how, just passive funds. Yeah. To be clear. And, and you have to file when you own five percent. Right. Like, you know, that's the other thing. Right. But right. it's five public statements. But essentially, it, yeah. that's that's a huge and, and that's because that is a huge say in what happens right. at these companies. Right. Five percent is considered like a threshold that we need. to No, know. no. Well, I mean, like, I think... they, they require you to file either a 13 D or a 13 G, right. depending whether you're going to be an active or a passive investor. Well, and I think what's funny is you kind of think passive funds. Um, what is the definition of a passive fund? I mean, the, the idea is isn't. What you're discovering less and less, I guess, is that it isn't so much that they have they take no voice. It's that they're following an index one. Like that the passive is about what they're holding. Less and less it's about what they're doing with that holding. Well is that, and is that their, a fair their, way to describe their it? take is like look, if they don't like what a company is doing, they can't just sell it and move on like an active manager would. Yeah. They're stuck. So I think they've taken the view that we better, you know, try to have a long term relationship with a company and put our foot down when we need to in the form of a vote, but we can afford, you know, if we don't like something one year, we can give it time. So for example, Mylan has been in the news recently for increasing the price of EpiPens. Um, BlackRock voted against their executive compensation this year um, before that firestorm really kicked off or, or reached a boiling point, but three years prior from our reporting had raised questions about what they saw as potentially excessive executive compensation. So that's that sort of is an example of that long-term time horizon that they bring rather than, you know, an activist walking in the door with a pitch book saying, we want this fixed now and we want to see it on the board. Let's go. Right. 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 They're, they're very open to saying, um, essentially, our, our role as a shareholder isn't to be uh, kind of directing you know, how much leverage you should have, how much stock you should be buying back. Um, those decisions that essentially are becoming uh, flashpoints for, for activists, and, and we're seeing a lot of debate, you know, like, oh, should Apple have a trillion dollars in cash on its balance sheet? I know that's an exaggeration. Uh, that, <laughs> not, not much. <laughs> um, but th- these guys are saying, listen, that's not our job. Management gets to run the company. We're going we're gonna to say when, when, we, when we feel they're overstepping the bounds. Um, but it's it's just sort of a very different viewpoint than we often hear talked about. One of the, one of the questions I have is historically, how have passive funds voted? It sounds like, by and large, they vote with management. Yeah, traditionally they do defer to management, and that is still the case. I mean, I, I think that some large managers would argue that when it comes to particularly contentious votes, they're not afraid to vote against management. If you look at the overarching stats, so that is still broadly the case. And, and how much of a flashpoint is that for the activist investor? Because as these funds own 5% and increasingly 5% of the companies, if you are if you have a deal in front of you or if you have something that the board needs to vote on, like whether it's the board itself, um, you know, these these passive funds have a significant say and who wins? Yeah, exactly. That's that's and that's sort of like the activist's worst fear is is um, that a lot of them like to point to what happened at Dupont, where uh, Nelson Peltz was trying to get on that board and essentially uh, didn't get on the board, largely because n- none of the passive funds, quote unquote, passive funds, uh, supported his election, whereas a large majority of the active funds did, um, actively managed. Uh, but essentially. There, there is, there is, there are lots of examples of of index funds and, and BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street all supporting activists. They they do it, and, and they're they're not shy about saying, "Listen, about half the time we're going to think about, we're gonna we're gonna look to do it." Um, but 
it's true. They're, it's it's sort of like a hurdle you have to get. But if you get them, then it sways it your way pretty quickly. Yeah. So it kind of cuts both ways. And it's interesting, you know, in talking to the companies that are hearing from activists, hearing from index funds, some say, yeah, they're at the table. We're meeting with BlackRock. We're going to Malvern and meeting with Vanguard. Others say, you know, they're too passive. We don't hear anything from them, you know. What what is the burden of that? Are they going to come to the boardroom one day, or does it not? You know, is that something that I'll never be on their radar? Um, so I think this is something that's playing out in real time now, and I think that these fund managers are trying to get their arms around what what the right balance is, given that these funds, let's face it, charge a fraction of a percentage point. So you know, you only have so much money coming in the door from these ultra low cost funds in the first place. Yeah, I was I was wondering. I think you kind of got to that is. Does this become a situation where it's more of a, a pendulum swinging kind of thing between active managers and, and passive, or is this like a trend that is moving in a direction? I mean, are you going to see swings in this, or is this just kind of a one-way street? The the fund flows? Uh, I think most people uh, – I don't know. Most people is probably an exaggeration. Uh, uh, it, it seems like it's a one-way street. Right. Will the growth continue at the same clip that it has? Yeah. Maybe not forever. And, and active managers, I think, would argue there is a pendulum. It, it will swing back to a degree. There will be more money coming back into active funds eventually. You know, who knows? But do I think that the power that these index funds hold will decrease from here? Not necessarily. I mean, I think that there is a substantial amount of assets in these funds now. And with that comes these voting powers. So I think to, to that extent, there is a little bit of a new world that's emerging now that is here to stay. One of the questions I have is, is it just you know, looking back historically, how much were mutual funds and pension funds and other big institutional holders of stocks sort of active in engaging with management um, prior to the rise of you know the sort of passive in funds? Uh, they weren't. They weren't um, even the quote unquote right actively managed investors, um, not activists like Fidelity or T Rowe or something historically they'll speak up every once in a while very rarely publicly but they had the same you know in the 90s when when you know Magellan was becoming a gigantic asset holder um they did the same thing they just didn't they didn't view it as their role to uh impose themselves upon management where we've really seen a shift is kind of the post Enron and WorldCom world where people said hey wait a second I shouldn't really just blindly trust management as looking out for the best of us uh, and then the financial crash really kind of kicked that home even harder. And we've and that's that's then fed this rise of activism, which has sort of shifted the ground game. It's sort of viewed now as no longer um, bad to raise your questions about management. It's, you know, it's fair to guess them. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's leave it there. Good story from both of you. Thank you for coming on, spending a few minute moments with it. Thanks with for having us. us. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Everyone, thank you for listening, and we will catch up with you very soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.